0: welcome to journal spotting. Want to know how to be more green at work but you can only sigh as you pop your one millionth item of pristine plastic ppe from that morning into the bin. Your ears are in the right place. This is a general medicine podcast that will bring you a monthly roundup of the top practice changing articles along with specialist interviews, guidelines and more. We scout the journals so you don't have to. We are the journal spotters. Welcome back to Journal Spotting. Today, John and I will be covering the fascinating yet difficult topic of the impact of the NHS on our environment. John, you want to introduce yourself and tell us how you have been single-handedly saving the environment?
1: Yeah, thanks, Barney. I'm Dr. Jonathan Hudson. I'm an internal medicine trainee in South London, and any of my teammates um, that have worked on wards with me know that I've got a nice little roll-up bamboo set of knives and forks that I like to virtue signal every lunchtime to suggest that I'm environmentally friendly. But let's be honest, I think there are much wider and bigger things that we could be doing, and I'm excited about this conversation today because I think
0: we're going to learn all about them. I, and I am, as always, Dr. Barnaby Hirons, and I think my uh, environmentally friendly thing, which my wife just reminded me about, was the fact that we use reusable nappies. Um, yes, they are a bit disgusting, but uh, it does save on a huge bulk of disposable nappies every day, so we we like to be quite smug about that.
1: Yeah, Barney, that's great. I mean, you do look quite smug. I didn't realise it was the reusable nappies that was doing it, but... As always, before we kick off with the interview, do rate, review, subscribe, um, just so that you can get us delivered straight to your podcast inbox whenever we release episodes. And we'd love to hear from you, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or you can email us at journalspotting at gmail.com. Without further ado,
0: let's get on with the interview. I am very proud to introduce Ms. Chantal Rizan. Chantel is a, currently a research fellow in Brighton undergoing a PhD studying, in a nutshell, the carbon footprint and environmental impact of healthcare systems.
1: Chantal's released uh, quite a number of important articles over the last year relating to this and in particular how COVID has impacted
0: on the situation. Um, and we're going to discuss quite a few of these in a moment. Chantal, fantastic getting you on the show. And thank you so much for joining us on Journal Spotting.
2: Thank you for the kind invitation. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, we have a big and extremely important topic to get to grips with today but as always we would love for our listeners to get you to get to know you a little bit first so do you mind introducing yourself um perhaps let us know how you, how you've stayed sane during this maddening pandemic i mean that that is kind of assuming you have stayed sane which i'm sure not many people actually have me included so
2: yeah absolutely um so my name is Chantal. i'm an ent research fellow down in sunny brighton um i'm based at, at the hospital here but i'm also doing a phd at the moon at brighton and sussex medical school um and the aim of my phd is essentially to work out where are those carbon hotspots within the operating theater and what might be meet- what might we actually do to uh, reduce those carbon hotspots. So I'm I'm very focused on making real-world changes. I don't want to just quantify the hotspots, I want to see where are we going to make a difference. Um, I'm also a Surgical Research Fellow at the Royal College of Surgeons of England, Um, and as part of my work with the Royal College I've actually set up the Sustainability and Surgery Working Group there um, and we're looking to see what we can do at a national level to actually reduce the carbon footprints of of surgical services and just to also mention I'm um, the Sustainable Surgery Fellow at the Centre for Sustainable Healthcare and that's an institute based in Oxford uh, which is looking across different specialties at what might be done um, so on that question of of how have I stayed stayed sane, I think, like many people, um, the great outdoors has been uh, really key to that. Um, I'm really fortunate in terms of where I live in that I literally have to go two minutes from my house in one direction and I'm on the South Downs, and then two minutes in the other direction and I'm um, literally on the seafront. Oh, amazing! Um, I'm, you know, very big into my mountain biking, and so most weekends, even in winter, I'm out on on the downs. Um, and it's pretty muddy and pretty, pretty cold at the moment. but um, <laughs> It's been key, really.
0: That sounds amazing. Sounds pretty good. I didn't know you were a mountain biker. I've, uh, I've only been a couple of times. Absolutely loved it, and have nearly always landed flat on my face in some bush or in some ditch or something. Which is, I suppose that's part of the fun of it, I guess.
2: Yeah, and it's that whole thing of exploring. We'll see. Okay. Yeah,
1: that sounds very nice and tall. Barney and I both have the South Circular to explore <laughs> in our free time. <laughs> So, yeah, very jealous of
0: your uh, ability to get outside a bit more. As yeah. a Southeast London joke, if ever I've heard one, John. I think anybody, <laughs> any of our listeners anywhere in the world would like the South Secular. It's basically a horrible road in London which stinks and is incredibly crowded. <laughs> yeah. And a mountain bike on it, though, if you
1: really want to. You
0: can do. You can do. That is dangerous. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> nice. Well, uh, Chantal, one of the things it sounds like you've done to stay sane as well is to throw yourself into your work. I mean, it sounds like you're doing. A lot of work on assessing the carbon footprint of health systems and I guess uh, before we sort of get into the nitty-gritty do you have an idea when you sort of when it was that you became interested in this topic and uh, sort of how you became interested in it?
2: Yeah certainly Um, so just touching on that point um, I think the pandemic has certainly been really good in terms of my research output and that's been a really great opportunity to actually throw myself into that and and to be a lot more focused in that but just to take you right back then in terms of my the journey that I've been on that's brought me to this point. I have always loved spending time outdoors, and and even at the age of four, I um I was given my first pair of walking boots and spent a lot of time growing up uh, w- walking and cycling and so on. And I was also around that time, before I went to school, even I was given a book uh, by my dad, which actually uh, looked at the uh, the damaging impact that human humans are having on the environment. And that really sparked an interest. When I was 12, I, I wrote a 28-page manifesto on, on the impacts of overfishing and the impacts on global warming and deforestation and oil pollution. The fact that I spent my time as a 12-year-old doing that probably did um, point to, like, go on to become an academic. Then once I was 16, I started up a young enterprise company and there I was selling recycled bags that are made out of juice cartons by a women's cooperative in uh, in Cairo. Um, and that company, it was called Sabelline, which is um, Arabic for rubbish collectors. Um, so you know, this is this all happened prior to going to med school. But then I became a doctor, and I just had no concept of how I could align those personal values with the workplace. I looked around me and at all of the consumables that we were using, and really didn't see that the two were in any way related. Um, then I, I did a master of research, and I I used lean management techniques to actually streamlined uh, patient pathways and I identified that actually when we're looking at efficient use of resources with a focus on at that time finances and on time and that sort of uh, efficiency lens um, I saw that actually we were also seeing environmental savings and at that time I then looked at the research in the field and identified that actually we're really it's a field and it's actually infancy and there's this massive opportunity and um, there's lots of low-hanging lang- low fruit and actually, it was an area that really um, allowed me to apply my personal interest in the environment to to my research, um, and went on to then develop a PhD in that field.
1: Nice, amazing. That's um, nice to hear your story about it because I think a lot of medical professionals have an awareness of the impact on the environment that that, that healthcare is having, but maybe we're not always clear what we can do about it or what the pathways are to solving the problem so i think hopefully we can get into that today and you, your career has clearly taken a turn to try and address those issues so that's yeah
0: looking forward to talking about that before we i suppose before we go on and get into the sort of the nhs do you think you could just remind the listeners in, in very broad terms what the like the current situation is with the environment and our earth i mean <laughs> obviously that's a, a huge topic in itself but uh could you remind us why we're talking about this and why it's important?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I think this is the defining issue of our generation. We know from the latest IPCC report, um, so that's the International Panel on Climate Change, that actually we are currently at yes, around one degrees um, above uh, pre-industrial levels in terms of our global warming. But this situation is just getting worse and worse. Um, so, nine out of the 10 hottest years on record of record have been during this last decade. Um, and last year alone in England, we saw 900 people um, dying as a result of heat waves. And we know that if we don't keep that global warming below the level of, of, of one and a half degrees, uh, then we're likely to see major uh, climate-related risks to our health and to our livelihoods, as well as food security, water supply, um, and, and economic uh, disruption also. And there was a report by the Lancet uh, Commission on Health and Climate Change that actually it poses climate change as the greatest threat to human health of the 21st century. Um, and we know that air pollution is probably the largest causes of environmental death. Um, And it's estimated that actually there are seven million excess deaths per year as a result of um, air pollution. Um, and just to put that in context, then uh, in terms of the current pandemic, there's around uh, two million deaths at present from uh, since the the start of uh, COVID-19. But actually, that's something that we've got a really clear diagnostic marker, and we see it featured on death certificates and so on. Um, but if we then think in terms of of air pollution, we very rarely see it. There's of course a landmark case um, recently uh, whereby the uh the court so that actually um air pollution did make a material uh contribution to the death of a nine year old girl called Ella who died following an asthma attack um and they were able to show that actually the uh the asthma exacerbations were then associated with levels of air pollution in in Lewisham in london
0: fascinating yeah it's it's a, it's a crazy situation i mean everyone wants to, everyone most people want to do their bit and they want to help and I, as you say as we were alluding to before it's just difficult knowing how that can be done. Just as a side, are you, we, are, we give this guy far too much airtime, but are you uh, you're happy Trump's out, Biden's in and back in the Paris Agreement? Is that Did you wave a, a little Biden flag for that? Yeah, small, small triumphs. <laughs> yeah, exactly, small triumphs, very good.
1: Well, so today we're going to specifically talk about some of your research, Chantal, which is kind of the role of healthcare and its contribution to climate change. Um, maybe we could just start more broadly with what the role of the National Health Service here in the UK is. And sort of contributing to this climate breakdown.
2: Yeah. So we have this um, awful paradox actually, whereby we see that, as, as I've described, climate change is this huge threat to human health. But actually, when we're providing healthcare um, itself, then uh, that is actually generating huge amounts of uh, greenhouse gases, and we're actually further contributing to climate change through the provision of healthcare and that's of course at the detriment to our current and future generations um, of patients Uh, and within the UK specifically the latest report indicates that actually we're producing around 27.3 million tons of carbon dioxide equivalents each year and just put that in context that's around 4% of our um, carbon footprint within within England so we're a major contributor actually to climate change and in a more optimistic um, sense, we've actually then recently committed to reaching carbon neutrality, so to try to bring that 27.3 million tonnes down to net zero by 2045. We're the first healthcare system to, to set that ambition globally, so um, I think we really do need to uh, be, be, pr- be proud that actually that's, uh, that's our ambition here in England. Um, so that's our contribution to global to global warming and, and climate change. But actually, um, in relation to air pollution, we can importantly note also that we, in terms of the NHS, we are responsible for around three and a half percent of all road travels. So we are a major contributor also to air pollution. I actually recently, uh, or, or last year, published a paper that was um, looking at the impact of plastics uh, in relation to healthcare. Um, and within that paper, uh, we estimate that actually 2% of global plastic production is directly um, uh, attributable to, to healthcare. So we're a major contributor there, also.
1: Those are some pretty stark numbers, and you've highlighted sort of air pollution and plastics in terms of like the waste that's being produced. Um, what, what in terms of like, are there any specific areas within the NHS that your your focus is on in terms of areas of concern that have a disproportionate? Carbon footprint relative to other parts of the health system.
2: Yeah, certainly, and and I think um, it's important to highlight here that those areas that are the major contributors, they're actually um, areas that are within our locus of control as um, as clinicians and as healthcare staff. So the uh, the greener NHS team released a report last year uh, called "Delivering a Net Zero um, NHS," and that's our latest est- estimates in terms of. Um, the hotspots within across uh, across NHS services, um, and here we found that actually the biggest contributors were um, our use of uh, medicines, our medical equipment, and other issues in relation to the supply chain and other key areas that actually their core to clinicians um, were then uh, anaesthetic gases and also metered dose inhalers, and those two areas alone actually contributed five percent of all of our our carbon footprint, um, and really it's only clinicians that can then make that decision to actually switch to low-carbon alternatives such as using Tiva or or dry-powdered inhalers. And what I just want to point out here is that actually we need to be the ones that are taking responsibility. So other areas such as um, building and energy that was uh, just 10%. And, you know, so we can't rely on our colleagues in facilities and estates. We we need to be doing something um, about that ourselves.
0: That's brilliant, thank you, uh, And Actually, yeah, the dry powder inhalers is something which I was, as a respiratory registrar, something I'm kind of aware of. And um, yeah, and, and there is a push in some of the hospitals I've been to, to to start pushing away and start moving away from it. So it's good that the messages are trickling down. And uh, we've obviously mentioned the, the pandemic and I think a huge amount of doctors, including myself, every day we have the conversation when we have to take off, you know, put on PPE, see one patient take it all off throw it all in the bin go to the next patient and you just feel this this you know, building guilt about it so in general and with PPE what is the the impact of the you know the COVID pandemic been on um, the environment?
2: Yes let, let's start off thinking in, um, in general terms and I'm very happy to speak also to issues relating to PPE um, so as you might expect, there are various areas in which the pandemic has actually increased our, uh, our carbon footprint and other ways in which it might have reduced it. Um, and at this point, it's a bit, it's too early to tell and, and we don't have those figures to actually say where that balance lies. Some major positives though, in terms of our environmental impact will be from that shift to virtual clinics. So I think um, prior to the pandemic, there was a lot of resistance to change and um, lots of barriers being put up um, against using virtual clinics. But we, of course, have seen the widespread adoption of that. Um, And, you know, not only is that reducing the environmental impact, there's lots of social sustainability benefits also to that in terms of reducing the disruptions, patients work and perhaps their family lives also. Uh, So that's something that's great. Um, We've also seen the use of some less carbon intense methods for treating certain conditions. So if we take, for example, um, acute appendicitis, actually the use of uh, medical management as opposed to surgery is probably lower. So I think in general, when we're looking at operations, they're, of course, really uh, carbon intensive and say for acute conditions, um, medical management will probably have a lower carbon footprint as, as opposed to um, the uh, the surgery. But when we look at long term chronic conditions, we usually see that over time, the surgery is more, more beneficial. So, you know, there may have been some reductions there and on individual uh, departmental levels. Uh, there's probably a reduction in terms of their carbon footprint, and that's um, as a result of, of course, reduced activity. Uh, But we can't really say, looking at the NHS as a whole. But on the other hand, there are, of course, uh, direct um, increases to uh, our environmental impact as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Part of that might be due to late presentation of diseases, and they might then require more carbon-intensive treatments. Um, And then, of course, the issue of PPE. Uh, which you brought up. Now, this is an issue that I've looked at in quite a bit of detail. So, I conducted uh, what's called a life cycle assessment, looking at the environmental impact of the PP that we've used uh, during the first six months of the COVID 19 um, pandemic. Um, And so that's a uh, a type of environmental accounting um, study that looks at 18 different measures of environmental impact. Um, And I was then able to model ways that we might be able to reduce that. And so within that study, I found that across the 3 billion items of PPE that were used during the study time period, we actually generated um, around 591 tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalents each day. Uh, That that, that equates to around an additional burden of uh, 1% versus normal NHS activity across um, when you look at the the previous year. Um, within the the research that I do, I'm able to then look at the direct damage that has to human health. So as as we spoke about earlier, environmental damage does actually directly impact on on human health Um, and I was able to estimate that actually across that six month time period the damage to human health was around 239 disability disability associated life years in terms of the impact then on ecosystems there was around half of a species lost per year and it cost around 12.7 million um, US dollars in terms of resource depletion.
0: Wow I like the way you have uh, you've differentiated it into sort of money ecosystem (laughs) extinction that's I mean that's fascinating just Helps you try to get a grip of it doesn't it? Yeah. yeah
2: I think it's really helpful when we're talking with clinicians actually to directly relate those environmental impacts back into the disability associated life years um, and I think it's important then um, that we, we do make that direct link um, between our environmental impact and, and the health of uh, current and future uh, generations. Um, I wasn't simply trying to quantify the the, the damage within that paper. Um, as I mentioned earlier, within my research, I'm always very much um, uh, focused in terms of identifying those hotspots, but then looking at ways that we can actually reduce it. Um, and within that research, I was actually able to show that we could have actually reduced the carbon footprint um, by seventy-five percent, reducing the number of uh, the of gloves that we're using uh, through, through using hand washing, um, as well as uh, reusing our gowns and uh, so using the ones that you might see in operating theaters, uh, reusing face shields five times with a disinfectant wipe, as well as uh, recycling uh, wherever possible.
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Chantal. That's really helpful to, to sort of talk through some of the issues with PPE. I, Um, I know that your particular area of interest is also around the operating theatre and the sustainability of of, um, surgery. It was interesting to hear you talk about some of the positives of um, COVID on the environment and hear that actually there may have been a shift in certain conditions towards more sustainable um, forms of treatment. So conservative management for appendicitis, which made me think that Next time when I'm on call and I get referred an appendicitis as the medical registrar, I will celebrate instead of batting it back to the surgeons because I'll see it as maybe it being beneficial to the climate. I don't know if that's a, <laughs> um, trying to reframe that. But I guess going back to the operating theater, I mean, what is the what is the scale of the sustainability problem there? And is it markedly worse than other areas of, of healthcare? care?
2: Mm. Yeah, so I think we do need to play a big role actually um, as as surgeons uh, in order to actually meet that ambition of of reaching net zero by 2045. Um, We're a really resource intensive area, as you might imagine. And a lot of that is in relation to the single use plastics that we use. Anyone who has spent time in theatres will appreciate the volumes of waste that are generated by each and every case. And we're also really energy intensive. In relation to the rest of the hospital, we actually use around three to six times more energy, and that's in relation to our heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems. Um, And I recently published a systematic review in the Annals of Surgery, um, which is the um, longest standing and most highest impact um, surgical journal. Um, And within that, I found that actually across the studies that were included within the systematic review, a single operation actually um, generates between six and 814 kilograms of carbon dioxide equivalents. And the largest of those figures, is around 2,200 um, miles in an average petrol car. Um, so each operation has got um, significant contributions. Um, across those studies, I was then able to show that the, the main hotspots and the areas that we should be tackling, um, are our consumables as well as electricity and, and uh, anaesthetic gases also.
1: Yeah, so big, I mean, big issues to tackle there. I mean, what, are there any solutions that, that you can see?
2: Yes, in terms of uh, if we think about surgical services as, as a whole, I think it's always really helpful to take a step back um, and the biggest thing that we're going to do in terms of reducing our surgical carbon footprint is actually to focus on disease prevention and on health promotion as well as um (laughs) and patient education and we need to be ensuring that we're really operating on exactly the the correct um patient group and that whenever we're actually operating it's it's truly necessary And once once we're sure that actually a a given patient does need to be set on the surgical route, we can then apply some of those lean management principles to actually streamline our surgical patient pathways, including avoiding unnecessary outpatient appointments and things like that, and optimise our resource uh, utilisation. And it's only really at that point, um, if we think about this in terms of a hierarchy, that we should then start thinking about details of Um, low-carbon alternatives uh, in terms of the opting for products that have got a lower carbon footprint, such as uh, reusables and really the the very last thing that we should be considering, which is important, but the other things are more important, um, are then using circular economy principles where we're actually um, focusing on maintenance and repair as well as as recycling. Uh, So that's really just at, at the very bottom so I think one of the one of the key issues, if we're then thinking about the impacts within the um, the operating itself is that uh, so the operating room itself is that issue between single use versus reusable items. And within my own research, I look at the um, the carbon footprint of the five most common operations in the UK. And uh, within that, looking at a tonsillectomy um, operation, I found that actually uh, the single use items really do dominate the carbon footprint so the reusable items and this is for a tonsillectomy where you've actually got um, a whole reusable set and a number of single-use items on the side but the reusables only actually contributed a really tiny proportion so just 16% of the carbon footprint and the majority were due to the single-use items and I was able to do some hotspot analysis and within that I found that actually almost a third of the carbon footprint was uh, attributable to just four Uh, for items that were used um, and these were mainly very large um, and bulky single-use plastic items uh, which were in this instance it was the patient drape, the table drape um, as well as suction tubing and and sterile gloves Um, and this does really provide support for us actually um, doing this sort of hotspot analysis so that we actually um, target those um, areas, those those single items that actually having huge impacts and looking at where there might be alternatives say for example the patient drape and the table drape there's absolutely no reason why they can't be reusable Um, and certainly if we're using a reusable patient drape then um, our you know our um, preparation trolley um, does not need a, a single use item there.
1: I can see um I can see a p- potential complication in that obviously there's a huge amount of money in the provision of single-use instruments and plastics. You know that must be something that we need to confront because if we need to reorganise the the operating theatre around reusable um, instruments, then you are sort of removing quite a large market for mm-hmm. a lot of companies, aren't you?
2: I mean, I within my wider work, I have um, had conversations with a whole host of um, surgical instrument manufacturers and generally I would say that they are um, aligned with this need to shift towards reusables and the message that I have had from those uh, those individuals is that actually they're providing the single-use items because that's what what the surgeons or, or what the healthcare profession is demanding Um, and so I think that we do need to shift that dialogue and we need to be feeding that message back to industry that actually uh, we want these items to be uh, reusable and that we want further um, development of items which are which can be safely reused and and,
0: and sterilized. You've talked a little bit about things like recycling and I suppose that brings us on to this idea about recycling and waste and that impact. Uh, as doctors walk around the hospital you know we see all these different coloured bins and bags and I'm sure most or every person listening to this will probably feel a little bit guilty about putting the wrong thing in the wrong bag at certain points. So I suppose it comes on to what, what I'm trying to ask you to what, what role does you know waste play in the NHS and, mm-hmm. and how, how realistic or beneficial is, is recycling.
2: Yeah, uh, so this is actually a bit of a bugbear of mine in terms of this issue of waste. I think when we talk about sustainability and ways in which we might be able to uh, practice more sustainably, people often do jump to thinking about waste um, and that actually if we were recycling, then our problems would be solved. But if we actually go back to to the figures, then... The sustainable development unit they estimate that the contribution of waste to the nhs carbon footprint is just 0.1 healthcare where that without harm um europe s- suggests that it's actually slightly higher so more like uh, four, 4 or 5% um but either way you look at it actually uh, even if we're recycling optimally that's only going to get us so far um in terms of actually reducing our carbon footprint and in, in if we think about waste itself, um, it can be a good proxy in terms of the volumes of single use items that we are using, but the actual carbon and the issue is um, is upstream of the waste. Um, so it's about the, um, the production, the manufacturing, the distribution and the use phase. Um, and so, yes, we want to be reducing the amount of waste that we're using, uh, that, that we're generating, but actually uh, that's not what the issue is. Having said this, it is important that we do get it right. Um, And we do have um, a real opportunity to actually uh, reduce the carbon footprint of the waste itself. So whether that's 0.1% or 5% of the carbon footprint of the NHS, um, we can actually do go some way to actually reducing that. So I recently published a study in the Journal of Cleaner Production, which doesn't sound very exciting, but um, it's is an environmental accounting journal, uh, which I get excited about. Um, <laughs> anyway, within that study, I looked at the carbon footprint of healthcare waste and looked at the different uh, waste streams. Um, and there I did actually find that there was um, a 50-fold impact in the carbon footprint footprint. Um, a difference between recycling versus sending stuff for high temperature incineration. Um, and so we certainly should be recycling where possible and w- within the operating theater, for example, there's such a huge opportunity we a lot of the plastic that we generate is is open and disposed of even before the patients um, enter the room and we, um, we do need to be exploring ways in which we can actually uh, help recover some of that plastic
0: don't do that it it's a great paper tell. I, th- I thought it was really interesting and it goes through things which i had no idea about actually the different options for waste and how different places do it so i thought yeah yeah it was fascinating actually
2: yeah so yeah. N- another um just a plug for that paper it's essentially um it's quite helpful for anyone who is wanting to do a carbon footprinting study within a healthcare context so uh prior to that study we had um what are called emission factors, uh, which are estimates for the carbon footprint of given processes. Uh the ones that we used previously weren't um specific to healthcare and they were not actually suitable for comparing between different waste streams. Um save so for anyone who is mad enough to want to get enter the field of carbon footprinting within healthcare, um I would point you in the direction um of that paper as a as a source of
1: emission factors for healthcare waste.
0: Brilliant, thank you. Yeah.
1: As published in the Journal of Cleaner Production, which is a great name. Um, So Chantal, let's uh, imagine that um, Sir Simon Stevens tends his resignation over the COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, you get promoted to Chief Executive of NHS England. Congratulations. I could probably see it happening one one day in a few years time. Uh, but um, what so let's let's say you're now chief exec of the NHS England. And what would you what would be the sort of three things or two things that you would go about doing to try and improve sustainability?
2: Yeah, so I think first and foremost, we need investment in research. Um, I think it's very easy for us to assume what is environmentally uh, preferable uh, but actually we need to be developing the body of evidence that actually um means that when we are making interventions um then we're focusing our efforts on the areas that are going to have the the biggest gains um so we need uh we need to develop research in the field which requires um you know uh, the, the major funders to actually support this sort of uh research and we need to certainly be be making sure that all of our national policies are evidence based as as we see in other areas of medicine. Um, and the second thing that we then need is, of course, our top down um, leadership and, and guidance and support. And of course, nationally, we've seen um, that in a big way from the Green NHS uh, Net Zero report and uh, Nick Watts, who's leading that work and, and his colleagues. Um, I'm sure they're going to be doing an excellent, excellent work there. But I think that actually we need to be ensuring that within each specialty, there's also um, national uh, leadership coming from the Royal Colleges um and I'd really like to see it integrated into um the, the examinations within each uh within each specialty um as part of a, a, a core domain. Um and then of course we need to be encouraging sustainability to be core to to each each local NHS, um, in terms of their leadership, and part of that might be in making environmentally sustainable steering groups, their ESSGs, making those actually mandatory within each NHS trust, and we need those each trust to be developing a, a sustainable development management plan. So I think at a national level, those are kind of the, the key areas that I would be seeking to encourage if I if I was the one
0: in charge. Brilliant. So that's the the top down thing. And I think there's a huge amount of work which needs to be done there. Um, What about from the the, the bottom up? So you've got your your average doctor listening to this podcast, getting excited, getting interesting, realizing there's a problem. Um, They're keen to help, keen to make a change. Or maybe they're just looking for some idea for a new quality improvement project or something like that. So what can the individual doctor do?
2: Yeah so that, that's really interesting actually that you pick up on that point of quality improvement projects um, but I think that what we really need to do is to think about sustainability whenever we're making any change um, within a healthcare setting so whether that's um, for the purposes of a quality improvement project or audit or research or um, just in terms of our uh, our day-to-day practice we need to be thinking about um, promoting sustainable value and by that, I mean um, that we need to be balancing the patient and population outcomes against the triple bottom lines. That's um, financial, social and environmental sustainability. But I think that each individual needs to feel empowered to actually make those small changes um, without feeling they need to take on the burden of, of the whole scale of the problem. Um, and we really need to um, be applying green lenses when we look at um, our clinical environments. Um, and I think that actually... Through raising awareness of these um, issues, then people can't help but go about their day to day work and see opportunities to actually um, make those small iterative changes. And we need the engagement of each and every healthcare professional to actually uh, ever get to our, our goal of, of meeting uh, net zero. Take it, taken by this idea, I think it is about getting the ball rolling in terms of those conversations with, with colleagues um, and identifying the people locally that have got similar viewpoints. I think that there's more and more people that are making changes within their personal lives and actually seeing that they can actually do something also uh, day to day whilst they're at work. Um, so it's about trying to see if there's any forum or society locally that that you're able to join um, and, of course, we also need those people to actually, uh, you know, we need we need everyone collectively to come on board with these ideas, but we also need individuals who are going to lead uh, change locally um, and, say, so becoming um, green champions and sustainable champions and that sort of thing. Um, and he will actually really take responsibility for pushing the sustainability agenda within within their local uh, networks.
1: So uh, would you say, Chantal, that... W- with all that work that you've detailed that needs to be done, are you feeling optimistic about the future of the NHS and its impact on the environment? Do you think the trend is in the right direction from what you're seeing?
2: Yeah, so I, um, I would certainly say that over this last year, there's been a huge surge in interest in this field. Um, and I find that really to be very encouraging. So um, I've definitely put myself in the sort of optimist uh, category on, on this one. And I think that we've seen a surge of it in interest both um, uh, in terms of national bodies such as the Royal Colleges, as well as um, on an individual level, when I speak to my uh, friends and colleagues, who are uh, uh, doctors and, and healthcare professionals. And I think that there is this growing awareness and acceptance that actually we do need to be taking responsibility for climate change um, and that actually this has got going to have a huge impact on our future patients as well as doctors of the next generation. And in terms of that sort of shift in attitudes that was quite nicely captured actually one of um, the junior doctors locally here in Brighton. um, I developed with her a survey that was looking at the attitudes of surgeons towards climate change Um, and within that we actually saw that 86% had actually already made changes within their personal lives and a smaller proportion had made changes within, within their working lives but the majority actually thought that we should be taking responsibility for the environmental impacts of surgical services. Uh, so I think I'm really optimistic that actually there is the willingness um, of clinicians to actually make changes in terms of their clinical, clinical practice in order to reduce their environmental impact. Um, and I think we just need to harness that that um, enthusiasm and energy uh, that people have uh, and, and translate that into all collectively make, making real-world reductions to the environmental impact of healthcare
0: thank you Chanel. I think you're actually right you assume anyway that if people are making those changes in their everyday life that actually then there'll be a natural step so and then more and more people are making those changes and hopefully that means that more and more they'll be looking as you say with these green lenses looking at the world around them where they're working and thinking about these things and often it's just about pointing them in the right direction hopefully like this podcast will do to give them the, the knowledge and the power and the ideas to take it forward Just uh, as a little side note, uh, Chantal, you recently guest edited a a planetary health edition of the Bulletin, Um, and we'll link to this in the show notes for our audience. Do you you want to tell us a little bit about that and what the conclusions from that were?
2: Yeah, certainly. At some point um, uh, last year, I was invited by the current president of the Royal College of Surgeons of England to guest edit a planetary health edition of their publication called the Bulletin, and this I'd take to be a a really sort of positive step in terms of this was the incoming president of the Royal College and uh, he's, he's since done a lot actually in in support of our sustainability and surgery working group at the college. And, and this is a a publication that actually reaches all members and fellows of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. So this was a huge opportunity to actually um, raise the awareness within the surgical community of some of those issues in relation to, to, our environmental impact. And so I, within that, I gathered nine different author groups and uh, curated articles uh, on the issue. And that included quite a diverse array of uh, papers um, looking at labor rights abuses within the NHS supply chain through to um, the lessons that we can actually learn from um, developing countries in terms of um, making the most of limited resources and so I would I would suggest uh, for anyone who is actually interested in this topic, uh, it's it's quite a nice light read and then a nice introduction to some of these concepts. Um, so the, the Planetary Health edition of the bulletin would be, um, I think, a really good place to start if you're trying to read a little bit more about some of the things that we've spoken about today
0: that's a great shout and I agree it is a it's um it's easy to read very succinct and it's um yeah well well written Chantal well done Uh, I would agree a great place to start for people
2: thank
0: you awesome well Chantal
1: thank you so much for joining us today uh you said so many things which I found really interesting personally your highlighting of preventative medicine as being a real key towards getting people to avoid surgery in the first place uh really struck a chord with me but I think yeah you've you've sort of discussed with us this really difficult topic with like real clarity and purpose. And it's quite inspiring. Before we head off, uh, maybe you could give us sort of two or three take home points that you can leave our listeners with, just sort of key points that you feel you wanted to highlight from what you've said.
2: Yes, certainly. So what I really hope that people have taken from today's session is that actually environmental sustainability is a healthcare issue and that actually um, healthcare is not exempt from these conversations and we all have a responsibility to improve our individual environmental impact as clinicians through um, all of our day-to-day actions
0: that's fantastic thank you so much and thank you so much for spending your time uh, with us going through all of this it's been brilliant and good luck with the mountain biking good luck with saving the environment and good luck with your new job as a chief executive of the nhs <laughs> brilliant thanks Chantal. thanks again
1: thank Bye.
0: You. you have been listening to journal spotting with your host dr barnaby Hyatt, and dr jonathan hudson information on today's show can be found on our website journalspotting.com on twitter at journalspotting facebook or instagram special thanks goes to our logo lady natalia graphics man costa and promotion stars isabel and abby if you've liked today's podcast subscribe and leave a review if you have any feedback or questions get in touch via our webpage our email journalspotting at gmail.com or tweet us Disclaimer time. This podcast is for educational use only. The views expressed are opinions based on our experience, the experience of our guests and the evidence we read. We are not affiliated with any particular institution. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use the information we share to make decisions on how you treat your patients or even yourselves.